You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our worship pastor, Andrew Muller. I want to take a little trip down memory lane. How many of you guys have been at our church before we moved into this school? Just kind of by a show of hands. Wow, that's a, that's a decent amount. It almost feels like 50-50. That's pretty cool. Uh, how many of you guys are, remember the service that we had at 7 p.m. that we called Collision? How many of you? Okay. All right. Nice. Nice. Uh, that was the name of our service back, you know, 2008, around that time. And Doug had this vision where he said, where God and life collide. And thus, the name for our night service was Collision. And so around that time, we began to be known for a few funny things. We were known for the church that had no parking. So many people were like, and sometimes a sad story. People would drive in, they couldn't find a parking spot, and they would leave, you know. Um, another time when I would be talking to family members, like, oh, what church do you work at again? I'd be like, oh, the one on 347. They're like, oh, with the cars up and down on the road? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, and actually what we used to do as a band and, and members, if you felt comfortable, it was never forced on us, we would park across the street, and we have to run. I mean, you know, the cars are coming, but you wait. You, you, you run. It's not like it's Frogger where you're like, yeah. But we would run, jump over the median, or walk, it's fine, gear and all that, and we would park across the street because we didn't have much parking. So again, we were the church that was known for having so many cars up and down the highway. Um, sometimes if you're giving directions, we're like the church uh, that's after the Taco Bell. If people weren't interested in Taco Bell, you would say it was the church near the mall. And they would say, oh, okay. And when we were talking about the name of our service, Collision, you know, you'd hear some funny jokes. Some guy was like, oh, can I get my car fixed while I'm there too? You know, um, very New York accent. I was like, no, we don't do cars. You don't want me touching your car anyway. Um, and so we were known for a bunch of things, but there was one thing that we were known for that shocked me. And thinking about it now, it was my fault. So here's what we're going to talk about. Backstory. I used to design a lot of the graphics here. So a lot of the message graphics, some certain bulletins. And we had Ron Majiro helping us out doing that back in the day. So him and I would do some stuff. We would make banners together. Um, but this beautiful graphic that you see before you is work of my wife. My wife now does all that. Let's give her, yeah, okay, awesome. And uh, she's in the back there looking great. And... Yeah, all right. Um, you're like, he likes his wife. Well, he should. Um, but yeah, so now like she designs that stuff. But back in the day, like 2008, now mind you, let's take some years off my life at that point. So give me some grace here. Um, I designed the banner to, you know, talk about our collision service. And so here's the thing where God and life collide, right? So I'm thinking earth, you know, uh, collision. And so I'm typing this into Google and I find this awesome picture of like this meteor hitting the earth. And I'm like, this is sick. And so I, you know, put that up and we make the whole thing and it's going to be up on the screen right here. We'll see if that works. There it is. So this is, this is what I designed. <laughs> let's just take that in. In 2008, this was cool. As I showed my wife when I was running through this message, she started laughing. She's like, even the red behind redefine looks violent. 
But somehow, I thought this was a good idea. We thought this was a good idea. We put on a six-foot sign, put it right in front of. So all the cars that go down the highway, thousands of people who drive by to work every Sunday, uh, every, not every week, would see this. And that's fine. We could take it down. That's cool. Um, and so our buddy Dave told us that he was in college class, and they were talking about church. They were talking about faith. And some kid raises his hand. He goes, yeah, there's this church on 347 that believes the world is going to end by a meteor. <laughs> no! <laughs> now, that was not at all what I intended. And the thing is, is that I don't think I really realized this until this message. I thought it would be kind of funny, but the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, who thought putting a, you know, like, impact of the earth, like with all the people these days saying the world's going to end, the world's going to end. Why didn't I think of that? I don't know. Um, not what we were aiming for. And so we've been studying the book of Acts because the, the early church was known for being effective and powerful. And so here at the church, we obviously care about what we're known for. We want to be known for Jesus first and foremost. And we care about our impact as a church. And so that's why we've been studying this book. You might be like, wow, we're still in the book of Acts series. Today is part 13, and we're going to keep going. And the reason why is that we believe... That the church is, yes, it's a building, um, and Lord knows we need one, right? We're, we're working hard on that. But the church beyond just a building is the people. It's you and it's me. It's not just us pastors. It's not just the worship team. It's not just our great volunteer staff. It's all of us. And so as we study this book, we see so many principles, so many things where we can learn from and, and, and kind of tap into the back-to-basics that God meant for the early church. And that's why we think this series is so important. And so we're in Acts chapter 18 today. And we have four questions that we kind of bump into um, through the text. And here's how we get our questions. We don't just think of them ourselves. Um, they come from the text. The text kind of draws out these questions and we kind of unearth them and we bring them before you today. And some of the questions we're going to tackle is this. How do I balance my faith and my work? How do I balance my beliefs in the workplace? We're going to talk about that. How do I deal with rejection? We live in a wild world with lots of opinions, and so it's important how we deal with and handle rejection. What do I do when my plans meet resistance? Guys, we are a people of many hopes and dreams, and unfortunately, when things don't go our way, where is God in that situation. We're going to talk about that as well. And I want to end with the last question, which is how can I grow in my faith? I want us to be able to walk out of here with just one practical idea of how we can enhance our faith. And so we're going to just dive right in. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these events, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found the Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they worked together. Everyone say, work together? Work together, for they were tent makers by trade. So we have Paul. He comes to Corinth. He meets Aquila and Priscilla. And, and here's what I love about the author of Acts. Luke is our author, and he loves to add in actual names and places that kind of landlock our text in history. 
which is really cool. Claudius was a governor who in 49 AD said, okay, no more Jewish people, no more Christians, get out. And he forced them out of Rome. And this is why we see this husband and wife duo, um, Aquila and Priscilla, um, sometimes it's said as Priscilla and Aquila because it's easier to say. Um, they met Paul and they all together built tents. They worked on tents. And let's kind of talk about Paul for a second. Paul, though he was an established Pharisee, it was, very, it was customary back in the day um, for when you were a young Jewish boy before you were taken on by a rabbi to learn a trade. And so Paul's trade that he learned was tent making and he has never given it up. And so he meets them probably at a, at a tent makers guild and they somehow get connected and he begins to live with them and they work together building tents. And I think this is important because there are certain things that our culture does that, are, that is different that we can learn from. Um, I remember in college, my first day in, the, in my sociology class, the teacher called everyone's attention and she said something like this. She said, guys, you're here to get a piece of paper. In order to get this piece of paper, you have to do what I tell you to do. And why would you want to do this? So that one day when you do get this piece of paper, you then can tell others what to do. Okay. So she was cheapening my hard-earned degree to that. Okay. Um, but that's what she was talking about was a degree. And she was talking about the idea that today we work hard, we pay our dues, you know, co here's coffee, Senator. Um, hey, uh, and you sweep up the trash, right? You're trying to get to the higher point so that you don't have to do the ground-level work anymore. You know, it, you don't really see a CEO picking up trash in the parking lot and be like, hey, Steve, good morning. Hey, there's coffee in there. I put it on for you. There's donuts. Go ahead and get them. Like, we don't see the CEO doing that. Why? Because they have worked their way to the top. That's how our culture works. But here we see Paul, who's a prominent Pharisee, studied under Gamaliel, who was like Harvard. He was well-learned. He planted many churches. And he was entitled to support from those churches. Like those churches that he set up should have supported him and they would have supported him. But what did Paul do? He did and took nothing from them. He supported himself by, by working and building tents. And he didn't want to burden the, the churches that he set up. And so he rolled up his sleeves and he got to work. And I want you to think about this for a second. This is not like setting up a Coleman tent in your backyard. Like, this is like setting up, like, like real hard work. The, they were talking about tent making back then was no joke. It was long hours, all day work. But that doesn't stop Paul. Look what happens in verse 4. And Paul, on top of all that, was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. I love how it uses the word reasoning. Because if you're someone with reason, it means that you're going to be someone respectful, someone kind. Uh, Matthew Henry, a uh, commentator on this section, was referring to what he did was uh, fair arguing. And so there is a discourse, there was a respect going back and forth with the people in the synagogue. He lived and he worked alongside these people and thus he earned the right to be heard. He worked as their equals. He wasn't lording it over them, like I'm better than you. He lived and worked with them. And see, when it comes to us, we can sometimes separate our faith from our work. You know, you might see this in interviews with certain celebrities or certain politicians where they'll, when they are asked about their faith, they would say, oh, my faith is so personal to me, but I, I, that's why I don't want to talk about it. it just, it's just too personal that I don't want to talk about my faith. And you'll see certain, you know, interviews of people saying that. 
But if our faith, my faith and your faith, is indeed personal, then naturally it will be public. You cannot have one without the other. And see, Paul, he understood this. He, Paul used his job not to support his ministry, but as his ministry. And so the first question that we bump into here this morning is, how do I balance my faith and my work? So you might not be able to preach at work, but know that every part of what you do can be ministry to others. That we are to love, we are to serve, we are to be respectful for all. If you see someone in need, even if it's not your position, you can help out. We need to live like nothing is beneath us. That's how Paul lived. And people are going to naturally just be like, why? Why are you living like this? Why are you loving like this? Why are you helping me? And again, there is a, high, a worker, work hierarchy for a reason. That's fine. But it's all about our heart attitude and how we care for people. I heard a quote a number of years ago that says, we are to live a life that demands an explanation. And so we almost want to live in such a way where people are like, why is she so kind? Like, I need to ask her, you know, like, like when we live in such a radical way, loving and opposite of, of everything we're probably trained to do, we see people wonder why. And see, that's how Paul understood that and he earned the right to be heard. And so how do I balance my faith in my work today? Well, the answer is let our faith fuel how we work. As we love and as we serve people, then we begin to earn the right to be heard, and that can point them to Jesus. We continue in verse 5. But Paul and Silas, well, Paul and Silas, no. They're usually together, so that's why I said that. (laughs) They will be in a second, you'll see. (laughs) But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was a Christ. So Paul and Silas were united. Timothy comes along, and he's excited because then he says, okay, like the tent making, I earn what I need to earn. I'm just going to put that in a pause, and I'm going to go full time into it. And just a side note, how important it is for us to be reminded that we need people that fire us up in the faith, that we need people around us to encourage us. And hey, maybe today you just need that reminder of like, who is that for you? And go ahead and give them a call. But anyway, they show up, And look what happens in verse 6. It takes a little bit of a twist. But when they resisted, say everyone say resisted. So that's the people in the synagogue resisted and blasphemed. He shook out his garments and said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, so Paul was amped up. His friends came, right? And then all of a sudden he meets a little bit of resistance and he gave up. Like what, what happened? And so a lot of times when we read scriptures, it, it often feels like either A, Paul just had a you know, moment, and he's like, he flipped the switch and now he's angry, or maybe, just maybe, and this is probably what it is, um, when we read verses, we think it happens in a day. But this is probably over a span of time. And so, so his missionary buddies show up, they start, he amps up his preaching, and however long it took, it eventually gets to the point where the people started resisting. And when we think of the word resist, we might think of an example like this. If you were to come up to me and say, hey, Andrew, uh, do you want, and you open up a Dunkin' Donuts, do you want some donuts this morning? Um, I would look at those donuts and say, no, I don't. Um, they, I might as well just drink fire on Sunday morning because it just, they just burns the stomach and I, you know, I can't do that. And, and you might go back to your friends. I don't know why you would do that, but you wouldn't be like, Andrew resisted the donut. That's what you would say. 
And see, that's the word we're thinking of when we hear resisted. Like, no, no thanks. So we almost think that Paul is almost overreacting here, but we need to understand something. The Greek word for resisted means to range in battle against. So there's a difference between, no, I'm okay, no thanks, and I'm engaging in battle with you. No, I don't want it. I'm going to attack you with weapons. You know what I mean? So there's a big difference between the two. And that's what's happening here, and that's why it's super important to keep this in mind, because Paul is not overreacting. He's getting pushed to the limit. The people of the synagogue decided to reject Paul's message. They started purposefully speaking against Jesus to antagonize him in that way, and then they became abusive and became violent. And so Paul is like, okay, I'm clean. I did all I can, and he shook his garments out. I need to move on. And see... We can learn something from this. So this, the second question we see is, how do we deal with rejection? Let's just kind of recap how Paul is for a second. He worked around, alongside these people. He reasoned with them. And we can conclude that he was respectful, yet firm. He was caring, but yet he was honest. And so for us, when we deal with rejection, we need to look inward is the first thing we need to do. We need to take inventory of ourselves. How are you treating others? Are you condescending when you talk? Are you name-calling? Are you starting arguments online? You're always the one that's posting on something and just kind of ripping someone apart. Or the first, you know, people share something and you're the, you're the critical about it. Is that how we're doing it? You know, and, and I think we're kind of in this weird time where it feels like it's halftime right now. If this was a football game, this would be halftime, and us pastors and preachers are coming up here as um, you know, the coach, and we're kind of, this is the locker room, all right? Envision this with me. And then the first half was 2020, and the election cycle, and, you know, COVID, and all that stuff, and, and all the ways we bickered and fighted, and fighted, fought, and, <laughs> and all of that. And, and here we have, okay, we have a new season coming up, and now, now this is the locker room, and man, I, what we're saying is we, we got beaten out there. We're losing out there. And we got to come back and we got we to go, go play ball and we got to go do it and do it well. And so on the other side of this, man, this is a huge thing for us to keep in mind. Because here's the unfortunate truth. I mean, this is a question we have to ask ourselves. Are people rejecting God or are they rejecting me because of how I'm treating them? Whew. That's hard, Right? See, if I am to be rejected, let it be because of the message, not because of me as the messenger. Let me just say that one more time. If I am to be rejected, let it be because of the message, not as me as the messenger. And see, the thing is, sometimes we're at fault, the way we talk, the way we handle things, the way we treat people. And here's what we can do to amend that. And when it comes to these cases of rejection is that we need to ask forgiveness for that person. Maybe it's just like, you know, I know that we come to odds and how we, how we have views on different things. I just want to apologize for the way that I treated you that is not Christ-like. I wonder what we would do as a church if we decided instead of I want to be right, I wanted to build a bridge. Andy Stanley had said something along those lines a couple years ago, that do you want to be right or do you want to build a bridge? Man, what if we just said, you know what, I'm tired of being right. It doesn't do anything anyway. No one has ever looked at a Facebook post and said, wow. I'm going to change all my views right now. Like that, didn't, that doesn't happen, right? So what if we just tried to build these bridges and some of that will be asking for forgiveness? Own it because it's a better witness. 
But you might be sitting here, Andrew, saying, okay, I, I understand that, but there are situations where I'm rejected where I feel like I, just, I'm, I am doing all the right things, that I am loving, and I am caring. And, and let's look at Paul. Like Paul was, was reasoning with these people. He was fair to these people. He worked alongside these people, and they still rejected him. So likewise, what do we do when we're in a situation where we have done all we could, we're trying to do everything right, but still we are rejected? And see, sometimes other people's actions and abuse make it impossible for us to be in relationship with them. And sometimes we need to then move on from that. And so we need to remove ourselves from an abusive situation knowing that God has something else for us and that we've done all we could. And see, Paul, he didn't take fault here. He didn't say like, oh man, I might have not preached really well and that's why they're upset. He realized he did all he could and he said, I'm gonna put the blame on you guys. This is not something that I need to carry guilt for. I'm walking away. And some of us need to be reminded here today that someone else's abusive behavior towards you is not your fault. That's very serious. I don't know who this is for today, but it's not your fault. And even if you didn't play your cards right, even if you didn't do things well and you're saying, you know what, Andrew, you're right, like, but you don't understand because I messed up in these ways, that abuse is never okay and it's never warranted. And so how do we deal with rejection? We need to flee, I'm sorry, we need to uh, take inventory of ourselves. We need to amend the situation if needed, and we need to flee abusive situations. And that's what Paul does. Let's humanize him a bit. I can imagine Paul has experienced a lot of beatings, a lot of shipwrecks, a lot of uh, tough situations, and here he is getting driven out of another synagogue. I can imagine this is really exhausting. Imagine just spending your life and just feeling, and, and feeling you know, rejected and, and all that. And he could be weighed down by that, but look what he does. Cool. We got a little... I knew it. I knew we shouldn't have used that adapter. That's a real thing, too. All right, anyway. Um, Paul is discouraged. Like, we're discouraged about that little light thing. Um, but uh, let's find where I am. And here it is. Paul, he shakes the dust off his feet, and he leaves the synagogue. Yes, okay, he leaves the synagogue. So picture this, violent people, get out, angry, leaves. But here's how the grace of God is at work. The grace of God is at work here because does Paul leave? Does he just, he's going back to Athens, he he leaves town? No, where, where Paul goes is he goes right next door. There's this guy named Titius Justice, really cool name, who is a believer, and he begins to preach out of Titius's house. So that's like here, you're all like, we hate you, Andrew, leave. And I'm like, I'm going to preach at the neighbor's house. Like, that's what happened here. And I think that's a really cool thing to just kind of zoom in for a second. Side note, maybe you've pushed God away. You've kind of pushed him out of your life. Um, Here's a reminder that God's grace isn't far off, that he's camped out right next door. He's just, he's still there. He's still with an eyesight. So if I walk out of the synagogue, I see where Paul is, right? So likewise, God and his grace is, is, isn't far off for you. But though he is basically driven out, the whole synagogue rejected Paul. Something really cool happens. The leader of the synagogue, his name was Crispus. And Crispus puts his faith in Jesus. So now you have a whole synagogue of people that are violent towards Christianity, and their leader becomes a Christian. And so you can imagine he didn't keep his job. But the cool thing is, is that his whole household became believers. 
And, and this is something we see so often in the book of Acts that entire households are like, wow, we see this, it adds up, we are putting our faith in Jesus. And, and it said, the scriptures say that, and many people were believing and being baptized. And so there's some crazy times here, but God is working. And we pick it up in verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul by a vision at night, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So God reassures Paul that though there's opposition, keep on preaching. Do not fear. I know you've had your share of getting beaten up, and and but not here, not in this city. And he reminds them, reminds him to preach without fear. But of course, trouble does come. And, and we see how God provides. In verse 12, we continue. But while Galileo was proconsul of Arcadia, so again, we have Luke adding in a governor by name, very cool. Um, but while he was proconsul of Arcadia, Arcadia, the Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, this man is inciting the people to worship God contrary to the law. And so the Jews, they, they grab Paul, they pull him without any opportunity for him to come up with a defense for himself because they think Galileo is going to rule in their favor. And here is a tough thing to think about, that this is not just like, okay, he's before another ruler. This is a big deal because if Galileo adds a judgment of guilt here, then this would set a precedent for the, the provincial governors in the area to all have to obey that. And so we would see the gospel get squashed. So if you're Paul here, there's a lot on the line. He's probably sitting there like, okay, you told me not to be afraid, right? And look what happens in verse 14. But when Paul was about to, say about to, about to. Don't you, we love when God just kind of comes in the last second. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter so Paul's about to speak, he, Galileo cuts him off. If it were a matter of some crime or vicious or unscrupulous act, O oh Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about teaching and persons and your own law, see to it yourself. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And so he drives them away from the mercy seat. And so the Jews, they're mad, and they didn't get their way. And in front of Galileo, they start beating up this poor guy named Stosthenes. And, and here's the thing. Stosthenes just got a new job being the head of the synagogue. So I don't know about you, but I, would, I work in churches. Um, I would never want to work at that specific synagogue because they beat their people up. And so Stosthenes is getting beat up right now. And Galileo just stands there, doesn't do anything. He could, he could be cared le- he cares less. And, and here's something that's, that's interesting to think of. Though violence is surrounding Paul here, it doesn't touch him. The gospel isn't thwarted. And here's a side note. Um, Paul actually mentions Stosthenes by name. Stosthenes is the guy who's getting beat up right now. Um, He mentions him by name in 1 Corinthians as a brother. So we find out that Stosthenes later on becomes a believer. Very cool. And so we bump into our third question. What do I do when my plans meet resistance? See, resistance doesn't mean that God isn't working. Priscilla and Aquila, they were kicked out of Rome. They had to flee their homeland. But who do they bump into? Who do they meet? They met Paul. And and in history, they become this powerhouse of a missionary couple. 
So God was clearly using those circumstances. We see uh, Paul was kicked out of the synagogue, but Titius' house was open. And, and through that, though people were disobedient, we see people coming into faith. We see households still finding Jesus. Paul, when he was put on trial, though it was a disruption, God kept his promise. And this is speculation, but I wonder if Astosides was getting beat up, if this was the moment that kind of opened him up to saying, hmm, I wonder if I'm on the wrong side of history here. And I wonder if that's when Stasenes began his faith journey. We don't know, but we know that later he becomes a Christian. And so God's plans aren't stopped by the disobedience of others. In fact, God leverages those things to help complete his will. And so what do I do when my plans meet resistance? Well, when things go amiss, we often try to cling to what we thought the plan was. We try to preserve what we wanted, and we try so hard, and we strive so much, and it's just hurtful. But what if God is leveraging your tough situation, my tough situation, to lead us not to where we want to be, but where he needs us to be? And so when we meet resistance in our plans, we are to look for the door that God is opening. doesn't mean it's easy. But we need to sometimes trust that there's bigger things at work here. And so Paul, he remained in that place for many days, the scripture says. So he continues to preach. But the next couple of verses we're going to sum up will be 18 through 23. Um, they're going to be like little cutscenes, all right? So if we're watching a movie, this would be like cutscene one, two, three, and so forth. And so the first cutscene we see is that Paul leaves for Syria and he brings Priscilla and Aquila with him. That's really cool. Paul discipled these people in such a way that they were like, we want in on this missionary life, we're with you. And then we begin to see them develop. And later in Romans, uh, Paul refers to this couple as co-workers in Christ. How cool. And so they come with him to Syria. Paul cuts off his hair, gets a little haircut. Um, there's more to that, though. He's taking a Nazarene vow. Doug's going to actually talk about that in a couple weeks. And so he'll talk about that then. Um, but then they come to Ephesus. And the first thing that the scriptures say that Paul does is that he reasoned with the Jews there. And I think that's so cool if we just kind of park here for a second and, and focus on that, that the Jews at Corinth were abusive and angry, and it was a terrible situation. But that, and he even said, I'm going to the you know, Gentiles, okay? But that does, that does not stop him from still going to the local synagogue first to care about his people. And I think that's so cool. You know, and uh, just a side note and a side message for us that we shouldn't shut out one group of people based off of how some of those people acted. And so today, maybe you're new to church and you're not a believer, you're just coming back to faith, and maybe you've been treated horribly by some Christians. And, I, and first off, that, that's horrible. We, that's not our aim here, too. Um, man, I hope that you would give us a shot. Um, because we see Paul had a very different experience this time because the people started saying, can you stay with us? Like they were begging him to stay. And Paul's like, can't, I need to go on. If the Lord wills, I'll be back. So then Paul goes on a rampage um, in a good way. He goes to, like sometimes you got to funnel your words, Andrew, come on. Uh, he went to go strengthen a whole bunch of churches. He goes to Caesarea. He visited the church in Jerusalem. He goes to Antioch. He went to the Galatian region, Phrygia, strengthening churches, strengthening disciples. So that's the that's third cut scene. And then we go back to verse 26 where we're going to pick it up. We go back to Ephesus where we see Priscilla and Aquila. 
We see a big win for them. Um, they meet this Jew named Apollos. Apollos was a, a really like polished man who was proficient in the scriptures. He was a very gifted preacher, but he didn't have all of the knowledge. And we pick it up in verse 26, and let's see what they do. And he began speaking boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla, he being Apollos, um, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside, and they explained the way of God more accurately to him. Okay, so Priscilla and Aquila, they're out on their own now, and they're discipling this guy. And I love how it says they took him aside. And this is what's most helpful. You know, a lot of times um, there are certain situations where maybe in the moment we need to call someone out in front of people that... That's usually rare. A lot of times, we can just pull someone aside and lovingly say, hey, let, let's talk, let's, let's disciple, let's do this. And that's what's most helpful, valuing him as a person and pouring into him. Because giftedness only gets you and me so far. Like, we need people to come alongside, come alongside us, to, to teach us, to, to encourage us, to, to tell us the hard things. Hey, man, Andrew, you, you, you can... Do better in this area. Andrew, you're a little rude here. We, I need, we need people to do that. Andrew, your scripture's a little bit off, and let me encourage you. So that we see them doing discipleship. And look what happens in verse 27. And when he wanted to go to Arcadia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he had arrived, he had helped, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So we see Paul influenced Priscilla and Aquila. He discipled them. They wanted, we want in on this missionary life. They moved to Ephesus. They then disciple Apollos. And now Apollos is like going for it. And he's amazing. Now that he has all the knowledge correct, he is just refuting people. He is pointing them to Jesus. And so how can I grow in my faith is the last question we bump into today. And the answer is discipleship. We are to learn from one another. Study, ask questions. Be purposeful about gaining in knowledge. It's so easy to go throughout our day and to be so busy. But man, when we kind of make time, hey, I want to meet with you, man. I know you know more than I do. Let's talk. Or we start looking into the scriptures. We have questions. We start finding people that can help us answer that. When we let people disciple us, that is what's going to grow our faith and others' faith. In Acts, we see a beautiful expansion of the gospel here. And it wasn't because they were having these huge like conferences and huge meetings that we see. And that's important. What we're doing today is, is what we're called to do. It's awesome. But the, where we see the rubber meet the road and where we see real growth is really happening in these cases of discipleship. And so that's important. And so that is where chapter 18 ends. And the more that you and I, we look into the book of Acts, the more we see community, we see people living, working alongside each other, encouraging each other. And I say, I hope today that you were challenged. I hope that there, whether one of these questions hits you and, and if there's something that you want to talk about, we're here for you. If there's something you want to uh, gain more knowledge about, we are here for you. And it's important that we all work this out together. But what did we learn here today? Let's quickly summarize. How do I balance my faith and my work? Well, we're to let our faith fuel our work. As we love and serve people, we're going to earn the right to be heard. And we're going to point people to Jesus. Just by being loving and caring, they'll just be more open to what God wants to do. Two, how do we deal with rejection when we need to take an inventory of ourselves, amend the situation if needed, 
and flee abusive situations. Three, what do I do when my plans meet resistance? Hey, man, we got to look for the open door that God is providing because we never know what good he can bring through that. And the last is how can I grow my faith? Just like we talked about discipleship. We're to learn from one another, ask, and study. If we take seriously what we heard here today, we will be a people that will use our day job to love others and point them to Jesus. We'd be a people that when we are rejected, that we handle it well, and we can move on and continue growing and not be stuck in the past. We could be people who can have hope when doors in our life close. And lastly, we can be a people who know what we believe, and we could spend time being discipled and looking into the things of God and seeing our impact double and triple. See, guys, the church, it's not just a building, though God knows we need one, but it's made up of us people. And when God's people take his word seriously, amazing, amazing things happen. So we love you. We're here for you in any way. And we're excited to move forward together as we continue this book of Acts. Would you guys just pray with me here this morning? God, we thank you for all that you're doing in this church. God, we thank you so much that you are with every person, every situation, every heartbreak. And God, you care about you care about the details of every life here. And today we just lift up to you, God, everything that we've heard, God. We, we invite you to make the difference in all that we're going through, in all that we're facing. I pray that we would be a church, God, that is fueled by your love, God, that we would care more about your name being lifted high than anything else, than any argument or any opinion. But God, today that we would just be a church that points people to you. And so holy God, we just thank you that you were there for us at every turn, every twist of life, that when doors close, God, that you are using that for our good. When we see people going through hard stuff, we just invite your spirit to bring comfort, to bring peace. God, we rely on your kindness here this morning, God, to meet us in our lowest moments. And so, God, would you minister to us? Would you grow us as a church? God, would you give us what we need to move forward? Thank you, God, for your grace and your patience with us that when we push you away, you camp out right next door. You wait on us. We are still within earshot. And you hear every word and you hear every prayer. And I pray, God, that you would pull our hearts back to you this morning. There's no shame, but just inviting your spirit to make that difference in us. And so, God, we are so grateful for the example we see in Scripture of you just being a patient and loving Father. We invite you to do that in us now. We thank you. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you guys just stand with us as we continue to worship here this morning?